fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So what exactly did Darwinism give birth to? And which of this stages of these stages of cultural devolution are we at in America today? Find out next year in our final hour on the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Back here with our final hour today on the Glenn Beck Program. I am Steve Dace. I host, along with Todd Erz and Aaron McIntyre. We're the trio that hosts the program each day after Glenn on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast from noon to 2 Eastern. If you want to learn more about us, there's lots of ways you can do that. BlazeTV.com slash Dace, D-E-A-D-E-A-C-E is how you can look us up there. If you want to watch our program, you can subscribe to it uh, via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just search for us there as well. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Uh, there's going to be several clips. You're going to find my name on YouTube, including, I'll point out to you why I agree with the left. White people are the problem in America. It's just they're the white people that are the problem. <laughs> we don't agree on which white people are the problem, but I agree with them. Uh, pretty much every bad idea in American culture today came from some lefty white person with too much time and too much money. All right, so you can look at those on YouTube. If you have any questions at all about what we're talking about today, too, with these seven deadly worldviews, feel free to email me, steve at stevedace.com. Again, that's D-E-A-C-E. So we left off with Darwinism. Now, we're not talking about evolution, a small e, a scientific process by which there's approximately 10 trillion examples of it actually being true. We're talking about an origin of species. Where do we come from? Are we the pale blue dot, Carl Sagan claimed? Or is there something more to man, to mankind? Are we created in the image of God or not? Are we here with a purpose or not? Because if we're not here with a purpose, then we're not accountable either, except to anything other than ourselves. And I mentioned that the the last century really was Darwin's century. That we would not have seen pragmatic suggestions like, well, hey, Joseph Stalin was right, to each according to his abilities, for each according to his needs. That we wouldn't have seen, well, you know, we can, we can become the ubermensch. We can, we can become that person. That we wouldn't have seen things like, well, let's make every child a wanted child. Margaret Sanger is a disciple of Darwin. She's also, I think, the most influential American woman of the 20th century. So what hath Darwin wrought? You'll see it here in our very next deadly worldview known as pragmatism. There are two kinds of pain. The sort of pain that makes you strong or useless pain. The sort of pain that's only suffering. I have no patience for useless things. Moments like this require someone who will act. Do the unpleasant thing, the necessary thing. I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mock when they're born. Pragmatism is so dangerous because it reduces truth to subjectivity. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Forward, that is the battle cry. Leave ideology to the armchair generals does me no good. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. In pragmatism, truth is preeminently to be tested by practical consequences of belief. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. To the American people, if you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. My position is do something on uh, Obamacare reform. I don't care what you do, but do something. Because if you don't, you're toast next year. A philosophy that undergirds the prosperity philosophy that we hear about in certain branches of Christianity. I want to leave them something that they can use this afternoon. So I don't want to, I don't go a lot of doctrine and, you know, I go practical. And the problem is uh, what we see worked out in modern life. Good people sometimes have very difficult things that happen to them. And this then becomes a justification for not believing. So the same justification we give for believing something, pragmatism, then becomes the identical justification for leaving that belief system. You will stop believing if certain bad things come your way, or you will attempt to construct a faith that is not based on the Judeo-Christian notion. Guess what? It's not hard to do heresy. It happens every single day by well-meaning people. All I need is Jesus in no context, so I hijack Jesus and do eisegesis, or I need the Bible in no context, and I become a heretic. Here's the bottom line of truth. Truth is truth whether we say it's truth. Truth is truth whether we experience it as truth. Truth is truth if the entire majority of humanity rejects it. Truth is always truth. It doesn't need to be recognized. It doesn't need to be experienced. Logically speaking, truth is truth. The, the response to pragmatism, rather, is trusting God through thick and thin. Faith is not contingent on some kind of pragmatic effect in my life. Pragmatism, I think, is very dangerous. So I could give you several examples of pragmatism in our culture today. The ends justify the means um, would be a practical example. Um, looking down on w the work a Mother Teresa did in Calcutta, for example, why is she helping those people caught in the caste system? They've been reincarnated and put into this squalor because they were terrible in their previous life and they are beyond redemption. Uh, they are being punished. That's why they are living in such deprivation. Why is she sacrificing her own life on their behalf? These are the sorts of things that, that pragmatists will say. And by the way, they'll claim that all they want is the bottom line and to get things done, they're just always wrong. Always. Why? Because they begin from a flawed premise. That, all, that suffering is bad. Always bad. And so... One of the highest purposes of life is the avoiding of suffering. Hence, Margaret Sanger saying, I think it's a terrible thing to bring a child into the world that will be sick, will be unwanted. I could go down that road, but let me instead take you down a personal one. I'll give you a personal argument against pragmatism. Christmas 1972, a 14-year-old girl in Des Moines, Iowa, named Vicki Wright, finds out she's pregnant from her high school senior boyfriend. And she has a choice to make. She lives in a home where her mom is twice divorced. 
They live with her grandparents. They're living in the white trash part of town. That's what it was known back then. The South Side Bottoms. And she's not sure that she can be a mom. Not sure how much help her mom would be with five kids of her own from two different marriages. She's heard that some of her girlfriends that have gotten pregnant have been able to have a, an, an abortion in a back alley. She contemplates it, puts it off like a lot of teenagers do, major decisions like that. And then about a month later, she reads the headline in the news. Abortion is now safe, legal, and rare. January 1973, Roe v. Wade is the quote-unquote law. Well, now she's got an even tougher decision to make because now she can just walk through the front doors of a quote-unquote clinic and, and be done with it. By now, she's turned 15 that January, still way too young to be a mom. But the more and more she thinks about it, she decides, I, I, I can't do it. She has a difficult delivery, a difficult life. She's a single mom at 15, living with another single mom. But on July 28, 1973, at Iowa Lutheran Hospital, Vicki Wright gives birth to a baby boy. She can't afford him, has no idea what to do with him, how to raise him. She's learning to grow up herself in real time. But she gives that child a name. His name is Steve. And 46 years later, that child is May. Broadcasting on 500 radio stations nationwide on one of the largest media platforms on this planet. Today. Right now. In your hearing. A child there supposedly wasn't going to be any hope for. Was a mistake, an accident, not wanted originally. And I know my mama would tell you 46 years later, she's probably listening right now. I'm the best mistake she ever made. Pragmatism says, why put yourself through that suffering, Vicky? Why take a long view? Why think of anything other than your own immediate short-term needs and desires right now? Why do anything that would make your poll numbers dip? Make re-election harder? In other words, pragmatism says reject anything in life that might be difficult or meaningful. Other than that, it's great. More in a moment here on the Glenn Beck Program. So let's get to our next of our seven deadly worldviews, shall we, gentlemen? Absolutely. And I think this is the stage we're at now. Um, that's the good news is you're about to learn where we are right now as a culture. The bad news is we are approaching the end of this stage. All right. And so we've gone from deconstructing God. We've then decided, well, maybe we're God. And then we're like, well, you know, maybe we're not the best gods. So are there other gods out there? And then we decided again, yes, there are other gods, particularly when they're convenient for me to use them when it's pragmatic to do so. And now everybody's got their own opinion about who's God and whether they're God or not. 
So how do we make sense of that pea soup that we're in? That's the stage we're at right now. The sixth of our seven deadly worldviews is syncretism. Do we all worship the same God, Christian and Muslim? I think we do. Does. We have different routes of getting to the Almighty. Syncretism tells us that truth is what you want it to be. Truth is true for you, but it may not be my truth, and it becomes relativism at its core. We don't have any creedal test. Our theological spectrum is very broad. Whatever seems true and relevant and useful, we can gladly incorporate into our Unitarian theology. No debemos dejar de orar por él. Y colaborar con quienes piensan distinto. Confío en Buda. Creo en Dios. Creo en Jesucristo. Creo en Dios. Allah. Muchos piensan distinto, sienten distinto, buscan a Dios o encuentran a Dios de diversa manera. En esta multitud, en este abanico de religiones, Hay una sola certeza que tenemos para todos. Todos somos hijos de Dios. I, I am a Christian, that is my faith, but it is not required. I have respect for all faiths. I can't imagine a moment in which that young American sergeant expressed his Christianity more profoundly than when confronted by his own death. He said, we are all Jews. And last I checked, relativism only works out with people's behavior. My friends do not want a relativist to be the pilot of their commercial airline. I think I'll land the plane like I just feel like landing it today and ignore the laws of gravity. I can't imagine a better expression of the peaceful spirit of Islam than when a Muslim father filled with fear drew from the example of a Baptist preacher and a Jewish rabbi to teach his children what God demands. We are I'm sure you don't want a relativist to be your brain surgeon, to just operate on your head the way he or she may feel like operating that day. It is only when it comes to behavioral syncretism that we can say, well, you, if that's your truth, that's fine, but that's not my truth. And really, atheists, in my opinion, are the great syncretists. Very few atheists are as blunt as Richard Dawkins about the world being meaningless. And they borrow Judeo-Christian ethics and equality, and they talk about their nobler, more enlightened way. Um, they don't. They talk about the fact that they don't judge and that they're open-minded, and yet they're being very syncretistic with the Christian worldview. They have expectations. They even call themselves humanists or humanitarians, but really they have no basis for it because they reject God. Nothing is spiritual. You end up with this, syncreti- this syncretism belief, borrowing elements of what we really are uh, borrowing elements from what we think are two conflicting worldviews, putting them together, mixing them, matching them, and creating our own construct, religiously speaking, and denying the very groundwork that each person is valuable and made in the image of God. Ah, yes, they coexist. Yes. I believe the... um didn't the Boston Marathon bombers, didn't the car they carjacked have a coexist bumper sticker on it, if I recall? 
I can't recall off the top of my head. I, I, I believe it surprised me. That'll, that'll yeah. be what I believe from now on just because it's perfect. As they say in seminary, that'll preach. Okay? So here, here's the thing. Because we, we started off the show talking about how our founders cracked the code. The ability to get people with different ideas on theology to live peaceably with one another. How, how to do that. And that... and and. They actually use the word of God to crack that code. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. Render unto God that which is God's. So if, if one religion said Jesus Christ died on a cross and was physically resurrected on the third day, and another to prove that he was God, and another religion said Jesus was never executed, therefore he was never resurrected, and he's not God because God has no son. See, we even wrote it up on the roof of the Dome of the Rock. Would it be possible for both of those religions to both be true at the same time. No. No. Because they are, they, they are contrary. Now, could they both be wrong? Correct. They could both be wrong. But when they each violate the, the identifying factor of the other, they contradict that. They cannot both be true. Why are you being so judgy? Um, <laughs> that's because here's the thing. The people that say that. It, it, you'll, what you're going to learn is that tolerance, every time you turn on the tolerance boulevard here, it's a one-way street, brother. All right? They get to judge you all they want. I, I didn't think a Christian was supposed to act like that. Well, I think there's all kinds of contradictions in the Bible. I think this, I think that. But then the minute you say what you think, you're just, well, you're a bigot and a homophobe. That's what syncretism does. It's a fake tolerance. So that we never actually have the conversations that matter the most so that they then become free to plug in the answers to those questions they prefer. My best friend in politics is a Jew named Daniel Horowitz, my best buddy. We share a brain. He doesn't think Jesus is the Messiah. My entire life is predicated on that belief. I know where he stands. He certainly knows where I stand. Oh, I'm not changing for him. I'd like him to change his view for me, as I'm, he would probably like me to change his, my view for him. But it's going to take some convincing. Yet, somehow, by treating each other as grown men and being honest about our differences, there's a whole catalog of other things we agree on and fight right alongside one another in those battles like we're, like we're brothers. That's, see, that's what true tolerance and diversity is. Syncretism doesn't want any of that. What secretism wants you to do is not fight for the things that matter the most in life at all so that you can be conquered. That's what syncretism cares about. More of the Glenn Beck program here in a moment. Back here on the Glenn Beck Program, uh, we are the crew from the Steve Day Show filling in here today and tomorrow. We are after Glenn each weekday 
uh, from noon to 2 Eastern on Blaze TV radio and podcast. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. That's how you can learn more about our show on Blaze TV or subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just look for my name, Steve Dace, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. We are ch- We are counting down. And the hits won't stop till we reach rock freaking bottom. Casey Kasem. We are counting down the seven deadly worldviews that are competing with the Judeo-Christian worldview that founded the country for the soul of America. As we speak, we just got through talking about how we're through the sixth stage. These are in the order that they devolve a system. They devolve a culture, a tribe, a, a, a human enclave. And we're at stage six now here with syncretism. And it's this idea that I don't have to wrestle with whether or not Jesus is the Son of God. I, I don't have to wrestle with, is he who he claimed to be? I get to change who he claimed to be. Jesus is now Che Guevara. Jesus is a hippie. Uh, the Netflix special, Jesus is, a, is gay. I can change that now. I get to change that. That's what syncretism does. That I kind of get to just, I, I kind of determine the truth that's comfortable for me to believe at that time. I have my truth. And if there's anything I'm going to say these three hours that you're going to remember, remember what I'm about to say next. First and foremost, please. None of you have your own truth. Nobody has ever had their own truth. There is the truth. And then there is you. Let's get to the seventh and final deadly worldview. It's the one where minus revival, we are going next, and you can already see the seeds are sown. It's the seventh and final stage before we before we put the RIP tombstone up on a culture and add them to the Encyclopedia Britannica or Wikipedia nowadays, secular humanism. from Americans come from uh, sometimes political. Uh, everybody has personal rights, and it's based on common sense. The father of secular humanism is Auguste Comte, the thinker who, oddly enough, though he hated religion, and specifically Judeo-Christianity religion and the motif out of Judeo-Christianity, he actually created his own religion where he borrowed things out of religious belief. After all, he became, as it were, the high priest of the secular humanist organization. They have rights and affect almost church service like experiences and who did Auguste Comte inspire? None other than Karl Marx, one of his closest disciples, someone who revered the teachings of secular humanism, which inspired communism, which inspired an atheist regime that ultimately would have a body count just in the 20th century of over 100 million dead. And this comes back to a belief system that says that we're cosmic accidents. Rocks are just here. Rocks just happen, they are here. Mountains just happen, they are here. There is a sense in which life is just here. There are no 
Uh, there are no transcendent values. That is values for all people. So you need to turn to Jesus Christ. You can set you free from your sin. Listen here, son. All right. I'm as gay as the day is long and twice as sunny. I don't give a f what you think Jesus tells me and what I should and should not be doing. Well, there's no such thing as universal and individual freedoms. They reject the notion that people are made in the image of God. We are two-legged animals, and this is where secular humanism is very dangerous. Of course, there is no ethical basis for right or wrong in the secular humanist motif. And I also find it interesting that so many of the quote-unquote enlightenment thinkers, the age of reason thinkers who refer to themselves as secular humanists, they were of course supportive of the transatlantic slave trade and the atrocities associated with it. Many of them picked up pre-Christian racism that comes right out of Plato and Aristotle. Even early eugenics then is picked up again by Karl Marx and of course Friedrich Nietzsche, the sons and the offsprings, offspring as it were of a ghost of Auguste Comte and secular humanism. One final time, I want to thank Dr. Jer- Jeremiah Johnston. If you've enjoyed his um, Cliff's Notes philosophy classes he has given us here today on the Glenn Beck program with these seven deadly worldviews. Uh, he's done a ton of stuff over at foxnews.com and on Fox News over the years. He's with Houston Baptist University. You can also look him up over at the Christian Thinkers Society as well. Here's the most important thing to understand about secular humanism. It's the end game of a culture. It, it's not a permanent place because it goes against our nature. We need and have to worship something. There has never been, with the exception of the Soviet Union, any truly secular society in all of human history. Here's an anthropological fact of human history. Every human culture has practiced child sacrifice. Every single one has, including ours at Planned Parenthood today. That's an anthropological fact of history. Every culture has done some form of it. Number two, there's never truly been a long-standing secular government or culture go to the old testament when when the jews would run up against uh folks that uh pagan armies that referred to themselves as baal something what does baal mean lord meaning that they, they were they were the god of that community or planted there by the god of that community so i'm baal peor i'm the lord peor baal put me here or i'm baal incarnate The Soviet Union tried it for a while, and what ended up happening is they made government God, because Chesterton is right about this too. Whenever government removes the God, the government will become the God. So the Soviet Union tried this, and then they made the government God, and ultimately collapsed on itself. So there's never been a secular culture, and there never will be. And those who say they want secularism either don't know what it truly is, or they are wantonly lying to you. Because the point of advocating the secularism is to make way for what the new meta will be. And if you want to know what this looks like, look at Europe, where for the last several years in a row, the most popular male baby name in London has been Muhammad. You go to too many Catholic of the great Catholic churches in Europe, they're mausoleums. 2% of the population in France, two, two, of the population of France is evangelical. Christianity is dead in Western Europe, for the most part. 
But what's replacing it is not some secular nirvana, folks. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's a lie. What's replacing it is the Moors have just made it past Portugal this time. And now a lot of those Catholic churches, hey, you guys don't want to go there and worship Jesus anymore? We'll just make a mosques now. They are. They were sold for mosques now. No, there's going to be a meta. There's always, we need one. We have to have one. We're built for one. We're made in the image of God. It goes against our wiring to not have a meta. So we're either going to put something there that actually is God, we're going to put something there that's not, or we're going to put ourselves there as God, that whole ye be like God thing. We're going to do it. There's going to be a meta in the culture, in our hearts. There's going to be a meta. And what you see in Western Europe, where now the um, you know, Bishop of Canterbury of the Church of England is now advocating for Sharia law. You know, it's just only fair for diversity's sake, of course. And, and by the way, I don't know anything that has oppressed more Muslims in this world than Sharia law. And there's no place on earth you'll go where it is safer and wealthier and better for you to be a Muslim than in a country founded on Judeo-Christian values. This one. Tell me what has oppressed more Muslims. Well, I can come up with one more thing. The Ottomans, also Muslims, okay? The Ottomans and Sharia law have oppressed Muslims more than anything else in the history of Islam. And if you're a Muslim today, you're better off living in Georgia than you are Yemen. Yes, Baptist Georgia, you're better off. So eventually, if you move out one meta, the next meta is going to take over. And that's where this is going. These cycles reboot themselves. We as a culture are going to worship something or someone or one another. Barack Obama's we are the people we've been waiting for. The debate is what's coming next. What is not debatable is that we will look and marvel upon it. That part's not debatable. And that's where we're going next. All of this, what's my gay marriage? What's that? What did that do? You know, hey, hey, how's my gay marriage impacting you? Remember that lie? All of the cute, every child a wanted child. Make abortion safe, legal, and rare. Well, you can, you can have your religion in your church. Just can't take it with you anywhere else. All of these fanciful lies we have been told. We're all done to get you to lay down your arms and open your arms to the meta-truth they want to indoctrinate you with instead. That's what this has always been about. And I started the show today with a quote from one of the best movies of the year. As we come towards the end of the program today, let me use another quote from what I think is the best movie of the year. We're in the end game now. We are in the end game now. We're fighting for the next election. The spirit of the age is conquering generations. Have you seen the polling? Aaron's generation? 
A third of them want communism. And that's up 10% from just a couple of years ago. We're worried about the next approval rating. They're worried about forcing their approval upon you. We'll have some final thoughts here on the Glenn Beck program next. You're listening to Glenn Beck. Well, again, don't forget, you want to learn more about our show, blazetv.com slash dace. That's D-E-A-C-E, blazetv.com slash dace. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Try liking us on Facebook. But again, we're shadow banned there, so good luck. Um, and, and email me. If you have any questions about any of the seven deadly worldviews we've discussed here today, steve at stevedace.com. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. And look us up, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and more. We're noon to two Eastern every day on Blaze TV radio and podcast right after Glenn Beck. So gentlemen, we got about two minutes left here in the program. Some, uh, some final thoughts from each of you, Aaron. I'll start with you on what we discussed and shared with, uh, with America today. Yeah, so God knows that when you eat of the fruit, you'll become like him knowing good and evil. You'll become like God. Ye be like God. That's, that's kind of the root lie, the fallacy that, that everyone falls for, for when accepting any of these worldviews that we've talked about today. Uh, I have the special knowledge. I have the extra thing that you need to do. We're all just one big circle of life. Uh, nothing, everything is meaningless, therefore we make our own meaning. We all worship the same God. The government, is, it, it's, it's all the same lie. Ye be like God. The founders of this, con- uh, of, of this country recognized, and we repeat this all the time on the show, they recognized that they were not the exception to the rule. Everybody else, uh, well, let's, let's, let's try socialism this time. It really hasn't been tried. It really hasn't been tried properly. That's, uh, that's a, a tacit admission that they, the people who, who adopt that type of thinking, we are the exception to the rule. No, the founders of this country understood that we were not the exception to this rule, and therefore we became exceptional mm. when, we, when, when we went down that path. Because we set up a government, our founders set up a government recognizing the fact that all men are cre- created equal, but that, you know, in this country, we do, we do live in a na- nation uh, where we are accountable first and foremost to God. Gradually, that's been, of course, chipped away at over the years, and now we're left with where we are right now, creeping on the doorsteps of, of secular humanism. And that can, uh, we can only imagine. We, we know what that will bring. We only can imagine what iteration uh, that we will practice if we do go down that road minus revival. And so at the end of the day, it's the same thing we s- preach on the show all, the t- all of the time. It's, it's revival or bust. That is very well said. And it's happening to thunderous applause as that grand Rube Goldberg machine just keeps getting built and built and built. And now it's coming down on us and trapping us at the end. That's the great irony of it. And there the devil is at the end in his best Jim Nance voice. Hello, friends. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if you liked uh, today, or if you didn't, uh, make sure you stick around. We're going to be back again here tomorrow as well. And we're going to be, we were very philosophical today, far more practical tomorrow. Our 10 commandments of political warfare coming your way when we fill in here tomorrow again on the Glenn Beck program. To all of you, thanks for listening. Until then, John 317.
You're listening to Glenn Beck. 